If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians today. Uh, we're going to start a short series on the themes of Advent. Uh, some of the things that Advent, biblical themes that Advent points us towards and helps us rehearse. Uh, themes that I think are very, very helpful. Uh, the reason that um, I found Advent so helpful was because uh, I realized that um, it, it teaches me. It's this reminder every year to teach me to press further into this reality in which we live. And what I mean by that is this. The reality that you and I live is one of tension. If you are a follower of Jesus, there's just always this tension in the life that we live, right? We're more than conquerors, right? He, in Jesus, we have this life, and we are seated with him forever and ever. Nothing can be taken away from us. This is true. Also, we lose people we love. Also, I can't sit up in bed for very long anymore without my back hurting. Things are still falling apart while we wait for the new. This is just the Christian life. And Advent was this season just to remind us as we get ready for Christmas, right, this great celebration of Christmas, it's this reminder that we still exist in the dark. I think sometimes the the push so hard for the celebration, um, sometimes the light of that celebration is dimmed when we don't first sit in the dark and remind ourselves of the reality. Does that make sense? Like the world is just constantly pushing us towards the celebration. And if it's always, always, always feast and never fasting, it loses some of its meaning. And so this is just the part of the year that helps us remind us that we live this life in this tension. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians today, uh, and then, you know, just nimble up your fingers if you have your Bibles. We're going to be all over the place. Uh, Really just to look at this one word. So uh, this is Paul's letter to this church in Corinth, which was a city, an important city in Greece. He's writing this letter, which by the way, I'm not getting into it, but Corinth was a mess. Let me mention that. Because I want you to hear, even though this place is a mess, uh, how he starts off his letter. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle to the, to, of Christ Jesus and of our brother, Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to the saints, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be, uh, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says this amazing thing. He says, here's the deal. 
You guys, in the past, you were called. God called you and he sanctified you by your faith in Jesus Christ. He called you and he set you aside as his saint for his holy purpose. You were set aside by God when he called you for a thing. But then he says this, not only were you called, he joined you to the others who call on Jesus' name. So you were set aside, and you also joined to these other people who called. And then he says, uh, towards the end of this section, at the end of eight, he says that that we will stand because of what Jesus Christ has done, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he did this thing in his past. He called you, he set you aside, he joined to this group, and in the future, he's going to complete his work in the church. It's going to be done. It's going to be completed. He is going to do that. And then he says, in the meantime, while we wait so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait, even as the testimony of Christ is confirmed among you, as you wait for the revealing of Jesus Christ our Lord, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord. He's given us all of the things in the present, all the spiritual gifts, all all the sustaining power that we need to get to where we're going while we wait. While we wait. We're, we're waiting, and, and in this meantime, he has sustained us. I love this intro because it shows us that at every point of our life, our story is tied up with Jesus' story. In the call, in the completion, and while we wait. All tied up. Uh, waiting is an important theme in the Bible for some reason. Like you, I don't know that I've thought that. Like it comes up a whole lot. Waiting. Uh, which uh, it's an important theme of Advent, which is one of the reasons I love it so much because I need this reminder. Because I, I guess maybe one of the things that we Americans are worst at is waiting. We're just bad at it, right? Like, if I go to Six Flags, you better believe I'm getting the fast pass. No way am I waiting in those lines. Just can't do it. No point in going. I, I, just this week, uh, I went on a tirade because I had to wait three days for some books. Three days! They didn't have them in stock. I had to order them. The next day, shipping wasn't available. I was like, I'll give you extra dollars. I need them tomorrow. I need you to know these books will end up in a stack of books. Probably two years long before I get through all those books. But I am livid because I can't have them right now. Just bad at waiting. Um, I think just the constant pressure of of the promise of immediacy drives us insane when we're told to wait. We are very, very bad at waiting But that's where we are. We are in the time, Christians. We are in the time in between. We are in the already, but we're also in the not yet. We are in the in between, waiting. And and what we're waiting for is for God to act. We're waiting for him to come and do something. And we have to wait. And I think one of the reasons that waiting is such an important theme in the Bible is because it's not just us Americans, it's us humans. Because we're so bad at waiting, we will always try to take matters into our own hands. We're always going to try to manage the situation ourselves, And so we're constantly being told to wait. Maybe you don't know the whole story. There's this amazing passage uh, in Isaiah near the beginning um, uh, that um, God has told him that the nation is going to come because they've been disobeying, because they have constantly rejected what God has said, because they've constantly just refused to obey, uh, God is going to send a nation 
to punish them. And another nation is going to come and just wipe them out. And it's going to be awful. And he's told them, repeatedly sent uh, prophets to them, and he's been saying it for a very, very long time. And Isaiah, this prophet, this, this man who God set aside to speak for himself, uh, says this in Isaiah 8 about what's coming. I'll wait for the Lord, who's hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to, the testi- and to, the, to their testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they'll look to the earth, but behold, the stress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Isaiah says it's going to happen. What God said was going to happen is going to happen. And when it happens, here's what I'm going to do. I'm resolved to wait for God. But the temptation is going to be for everybody else. And what's going to happen, God says to Isaiah, is everybody else is going to look around at all of this disaster and they're going to get upset. They're going to wonder where is God, even though he told them this was going to happen if they didn't stop. You, do I need to even give an illustration there? Right? I mean, it, it, right? Like you, like you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you are mad at God for the situation you find yourself in that he tried to stop you from doing, right? Like if you don't know that, if you know what I'm talking about, you're probably living that lie right now. Like, because we all do it. We all, you know, God says don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And you're like, surely he didn't mean don't do those things. And then we get into the situation and we're like, oh, why would you do this to me? Come save me. And he's like, I tried to stop you. Like, it's just how we humans are. And he says, listen, there's going to come a temptation. All this disaster is going to come and they're going to curse God. They're going to say bad things about him. They're going to, get, they're going to be hungry because of the disaster that comes on them and they're going to be distressed. That's what's going to happen. And they're going to turn towards the earth. They will look to the earth, but behold, look, he says. Look what's going to happen. They're going to turn towards the things of the earth. They're going to try to take things in their own hands and what they're going to find, distress, darkness, gloom, anguish. They're going to find themselves thrust into deeper and deeper darkness. They're going to turn to spirits, weird spirituality. They're going to ask things from things that have no life for life, but they've turned from the living God. <sighs> darkness. Um, we... Um, Waiting on the Lord means not taking things into our own hands. That's what the Bible tells us so often, to wait for him. Uh, Isaiah says that no matter what situation is going to come, he says, I'm going to hope in God. I know it's going to be really bad, but I am going to hope. I'm going to wait for God. I believe that he's going to accomplish his plan. And um, I'm going to do that. I'm going to hope. Because that's what we're supposed to do in waiting is we're supposed to hope. 
Waiting for God is, is, is a hopeful thing because your other choice is hopelessness, right? The driving deeper into darkness, depending on yourself to be able to make everything okay. And the Bible says that just leads to increased hopelessness. If you were about my age, uh, there was a movie that scarred you when you were a child. Um, if you were younger than me, do yourself a favor and just don't bother. Uh, it's called The Neverending Story. So you know. It's real upsetting. There's a scene, if you don't know, there's a scene in The Neverending Story that will keep you up in the middle of the night. And in this scene, uh, uh, this guy, the kid, the Arcteryx, or what I can't remember his name, right? Arcteryx or something like that. Anyway, this kid has uh, got to go on this journey, and he has to get to this person who knows the answer to the question that he's seeking. But to get there, he has to go through the swamp of sadness. And he and his horse begin in the swamp of sadness. And he's got the horse, and he's leading his horse. And, then, and this is on video, on film. You can get this on VHS. And he's leading this kid, this horse through. And all of a sudden, the horse stops. And he's like, the kid turns around, starts screaming at the horse, like, "You gotta go! You gotta come on!" Like, you got, like, he starts screaming. He's like, "You just gotta believe! You believe!" And the horse begins to sink and sink and sink in the swamp of sadness. Because in the swamp of sadness, if you lose hope, you sink and drown. What? This was marketed as a kid's movie. You're telling me there's a time in life and I can get sad enough that I just sink in despair? Yep, that's just real. But I don't need to be throwing that as a nine-year-old. Wait till I'm 40s to figure that out. But yeah, that's our hope. So, so often what happens is we begin to put in our own hands our ability to bring happiness and meaning and to have hope. And we, we, we begin to trust ourselves to do it and just wonder why we're slinking, sinking deeper and deeper into hopelessness, deeper and deeper into despair. Isaiah told us that's what would happen. If we didn't wait on God and took things into our own hands, what will happen is you will sink deeper and deeper into despair and in darkness. And hope is absolutely necessary for a healthy human life. We have to have hope. I love uh, Psalm 130. It helps me here. Psalm 130, um, a song of ascent, a song they would have sung on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, oh Lord, out of the depths I cry to you. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So he's pleading for mercy. If you, oh Lord, should mark iniquities, if you kept track of sins, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. I love the resolve. I wait, I wait, and I hope in his word. What he said, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. We hope because we have faith that there's a father who has adopted us and loves us. And no matter what's going on in our circumstances, no matter what's going on in our situation, that remains true. Even when we don't understand. I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago. Uh, and I'm walking them through what's going on and, and, and the situation and the circumstances. Of their, and I get to the near the end of the conversation and I say, hey, as we're, about to, we're about to stop the conversation. I go, so what's the most important thing for you to remember right now? And this person said to me, that's probably all going to work out. 
And I, because I'm a good pastor, said, that's absolutely the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, you have no reason to think everything's going to work out. That's not in your control. Guess what? A lot of times it doesn't work out. Why would you think that's the most important thing for you to remember? If that's the thing that you remember, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, it turns out okay. Because hope is not optimism. And sometimes we confuse the two. Optimism is just hoping, just believing that things are going to get better. But optimism is real fragile. Optimism is, is the kind of dumb dumbery that people who like already won say. I'm just going to believe in myself. I just believe and I kept believing and I kept being optimistic that I was going to make it. Nobody says that when they're like losing. You only say that after you've made it. You know what I mean? If the optimi- optimism like that is just fragile. Hope is resilient. Optimism depends on my circumstances working out just right. Hope in the living God depends on the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again and that I'm his. That is resilient. That is the kind of hope that I need. My circumstances may not change, but my hope is firm. It's a big difference. Optimism is so, so fragile. So Isaiah is determined that he is going to practice hoping in God. Uh, He says, I'm going to believe in him. And he believes in God because of God's character, what he's seen God do in the past and what God is like. And so I just, I love that the hope has to be practiced, right? And it's one of the things that we do together. It's one of these things that this season is for, that we live in the darkness and that even if our lives don't feel dark right now, we definitely live in a world full of darkness. And, And even if that is true in this darkness, in this season of waiting, we practice hope. We practice telling ourselves and reminding ourselves who God is and what he is like and what he has done. It's not just blindly obeying, it's believing. So we look back at what he's done and what he is like to grow our trust and remind us of what his character is like while we wait. And so we wait uh, patiently. I know that's a hard thing, but uh, we do, we, we wait patiently. Um, Advent's about that, about how we wait. We wait for his second coming. We wait for his arrival. We await, we wait for him to come again and do all the things that he's promised to do. We wait for his kingdom to come. We wait for justice to be done. We wait for death to be defeated and for new resurrected bodies. We wait for there to be no more tears. We wait for him to heal everything, all of creation, not just us. He who made everything can remake it new the way it was intended to be. We're waiting for all sad things to come untrue. What we are waiting for is huge. We are waiting for big, big things, and we have every reason to believe that they're going to happen because of who our God is and what he is like. So we wait patiently for this to happen. But also true um, that God is not just like on vacation until that day. Like he's still doing things. So we not only wait patiently for that day, for God to come do that big thing, but we also wait attentively, right? Looking for what God is currently doing among us uh, right now, uh, Jesus is going to come again. Sometimes God comes in, in, in huge, big ways. Uh, there's this scene in Exodus where he comes on Mount Sinai, and it's like lightning and smoke and fire, and all the people are like, nah, we're good. You, should, you need to keep all that away from us, because it's such a big display. Like, he splits the Red Sea, and these, all these. Sometimes God comes in these big, big, dramatic ways. 
And we should hope for that. We should look for that day when he returns in that manner. But he also shows up in ways that the people who are waiting do not expect. Over and over again. I love in Matthew, uh, I just, I, I've mentioned it all the time because it just tells me so much. Uh, this scene where John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who said, the one who comes after me will, must be greater than me. The one who said about Jesus that he is the Lamb of God. Uh, the one who, of whom Jesus said, there is no greater man that's ever lived than John the Baptist. And there's a point in Jesus' ministry, John is in jail. And Jesus is out there hanging out with poor people, healing sick and lame people, doing all of these things. And John sends him a message from prison and says, hey man, are you the guy or not? Do I need to wait for somebody else? Because you're not doing the things that I think a Messiah should do. Jesus does these things all the time where people don't expect him. There's this scene in uh, John John tells us the story uh, of this, just John 11. I love this story so much. It makes me so upset. Uh, Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village uh, of Mary and her sister uh, Martha. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him uh, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Jesus heard it. He said, this illness does not lead uh, to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So he hears that, that, this, that Lazarus is sick. They send for him. And he's like, this is not, no, not, not right now. So Jesus uh, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loves these people. So when he heard that Israel, uh, Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That is so upsetting. Did you hear it? He loved them so much, so he waited two days. I'm sorry, what? That sentence should go like this. He loved them so much that he jumped on a jet plane. He flew. He just appeared there because he's Jesus and he can do that. He loved them so much, so he waited two days. I'm sorry, what? What's going to happen in the two days? Then after he said that to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, uh, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light light, uh, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, the disciples went, what are you talking about? They're trying to throw rocks at you and you're talking about hours in the day and light and dark. What is happening right now? And he says this. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said, "Uh, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get over it. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest in sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. What? For your sake, I'm glad that he was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. And Thomas called the twin, says to the fellow disciples, let's go. I guess we're just going to die with him. What an amazing scene. This is what our God is like. We can't understand why he would delay. And he's got a reason so that their faith may grow. So that he may do even bigger things than they could have ever dreamed of. It, it, 
It's infuriating to us that live in this timeline when we are suffering and struggling to know and say, where is the hope? Where is God? Why isn't he acting? And he's somewhere going, because I love you, I'm going to wait two days. That is where our hope is, is that he knows a story bigger than us, bigger than we do. They expected a royal king in a palace, not one in a manger. They expected a king on a throne, not one on a cross. And our God does unexpected things, and sometimes we just miss it. Isaiah expected, he tells us what he expected. He expected God to bring life from death. Uh, Isaiah 11 says this, uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So Jesse uh, is David's father. David, the promise, the king whose God had promised was going to be on the throne forever. There's a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So from something dead, a stump, there's going to come a shoot. This tree is going to regrow. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Lord, uh, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. There's going to come from this dead. This, these people have come in and destroyed Jerusalem, have wiped everything out. And Isaiah says, you know what I believe my God is going to do? He's going to bring life from this death. The early followers of Jesus believed the same thing. They believed that Jesus' life and death and resurrection was somehow God's surprising response to the slavery of evil and death. That was his response. In your life, in this life, dark things will happen. And there will be things that happen that you do not understand. There will be things that you think, how could this possibly be God's way? There will, things, there will be things that happen that you say, there's no way God can turn this to good. And the temptation will be to turn to the things of this earth. To turn to things instead of waiting for God. But there's nothing that's going to happen to you or me in this life that is more surprising that God became man in a manger, died on a cross, ascended into heaven, and set us free. There's nothing more surprising. If God can bring the greatest life ever out of that, whatever you are going through, there's hope. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is hope. Nothing that is happening to you will be any more surprising. There's nothing more, there's nothing worse that could happen than the Son of God dying on a cross and life coming from that. I promise you, God can bring life from your situation. That is where our hope comes from. That is where our hope lies. In despair, when everything seems hopeless, we just trust the storyteller more than we trust our circumstances. What's your other option, by the way? You know, just to try to fix it yourself, to drown out. Uh, hope is based on a person. We have this hope because of Jesus. We find this satisfaction in Jesus. 
you guys want a C.S. Lewis story to help, to help you understand this? I know you did. That's why I prepared one for you. So there's this moment, this, the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the book, The Silver Chair, and Jill. I've read this to you guys before, uh, uh, I, but I love it so much. Uh, uh, Jill, uh, is, this little girl has been swept away to this, this crazy place called Narnia where animals talk and there's giants and all that stuff. And she's the first time in Narnia. And she gets lost. And she's looking for water because she's been lost for so long she's very thirsty. And this is what it says. The birds had ceased singing and there was perfect silence except for one small persistent sound which seemed to be coming from a good distance away. She listened carefully and felt almost sure it was the sound of running water. Jill got up and looked around her very carefully. There was no sign of the lion she'd seen but there were so many trees about that it might easily be quite close without her seeing it. But her thirst was very bad now. She plucked up her courage to go and look for that running water. The wood, was still that, uh, the wood was so still that it was not difficult to decide where the sound was coming from. It grew clearer every moment, and sooner than she expected, she came to an open glade and saw the stream bright as glass, running across the turf a stone's throw away from her. But although the sight of the water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward to drink. She stood still as if she had been turned to stone with her mouth wide open. She had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay the lion. How long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours. And the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she wouldn't mind being eaten by the lion if only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second, she stared, she, uh, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said again, if you are thirsty, come and drink. It was a deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. Are you thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by, looking, by a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Do you eat little girls, she said frightfully. I've swallowed up girls and boys, men and women, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you'll die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. I love this so much. It helps me so much. This is it. It's us looking for the thing that will satisfy us deeply, the thing that we want, that will give us this hope that we'll never thirst again. We want it so badly. And Jesus says, I have it, but you have to come to me. And I know that's scary. He has what we want. So while we're waiting, um, how do we know when we're going to find Jesus in these small things and not look in the wrong places and try to find satisfaction in the wrong streams and the mud puddles and all the terrible places that we look, but instead for the streams? How do we know when we're waiting, uh, when we're looking for Jesus to act in our life? How do we know where? Here's how you know. It will never, ever look like disobedience. Uh, sometimes we find our place in our life we're so thirsty that we think that surely he didn't mean us to not do that surely he didn't mean that when he said that that can't be what he meant and we convince ourselves that it's okay to drink from that cesspool 
It'll never look like disobedience. Uh, When the wrong relationship comes along, when the wrong uh, opportunity, the chance to be dishonest, when any of that comes along, that will not be it. The temptation to drink from that well will not be it. It will never look like disobedience. It will never look like anger or hate. Never look like hate. There's a song that upsets me. Uh, there's a line in it that I like. Um, this guy's, I think he's a believer, was a believer, it doesn't matter. Uh, the line helps me. There's a song, it says, uh, what is love for if not for right now? I think about that because you'll be in a situation where you don't want to be loving, where you've been hurt and you've been wounded. What good is love if not for right now? When I'm hurt and when I'm wounded. What is love for if not when people don't deserve it? What is love for if not when injustice has been done? The kind of biblical love we're talking about, it is for those times. The life that we're looking for, the hope that we're looking for, the satisfaction that we're looking for, is never going to be found in those things that lead us astray from what God would have us do. While we mate, while we wait, do not while we wait, do not miss that God is working. Um, he's working, um, first of all, in you. I know this. If you were a follower of Jesus, he's working to complete what he began in us. I think so often we're waiting for God to show up like he did at Mount Sinai and to split the Red Sea in half. And he is, we are waiting and we are waiting and waiting while he is waiting for us in prayer. To shape us, to mold us, to make our capacity for love grow bigger, our ability to forgive be deeper. He's waiting for us in prayer to change us and make us lights in this world. We want him to change the circumstances and so often he wants to change us. Pray for him to change circumstances, but go to him in prayer and let him change you as well. To do these types of powerful things, to let us be the light that shines in these dark places. Let it be Let the light shine in the dark places in our hearts. Because this is what your friends and family need, by the way. If you want to know what your friends and family need, they need us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. That's what Peter said. 1 Peter 3 says this. Even if you should suffer for your righteous righteous sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We are waiting for God to change our circumstances. Maybe he's waiting to change us so he can change the world through us. Your family needs you to be a light, to forgive where forgiveness is not owed, to love where love is not deserved. What we need is to do this, yeah, I think sometimes we miss these things while we wait for the big things because they seem like ordinary things. You know, getting up early and praying for your family and for your church seems like a little thing, right? Not prioritizing uh, worshiping together, prioritizing fellowship and community, prioritizing these things seem like little things and we want God to do these big things, but what if God is insistent on doing big things through us just being obedient with the little things? What if that is just great, great news? That he has called us and then placed us, joined us to a community that calls on the name of God. 
We need it. I think we need is silence and stillness. It's another beauty thing, beautiful thing about Advent. We need silence and stillness and perhaps a little more awe, a little more wonder at what God has done in his creation. We need these simple things, and Advent is for this. This season is for us to be still and remember when we live and to foster hope by remembering that he came as a child and he will come again as a conquering king. And in the meantime, he's changing us and making us more like him. He really is insistent on filling the world with tiny images of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we have seen the light dawn, but yet we still live in the time of darkness. So we wait for the full rising of your son the full rising of the sun, so that we might have life. Come, make us new. Come, Lord Jesus, come and come soon, that we might be made new. And while we wait, give us courage and give us strength, give us wisdom, give us sight, that we wait, not passively, but we wait actively and attentively, looking for where you are working, giving you thanks and praise. I've seen you move in this church, and I am so grateful for it. I've seen you change people's lives when they've forgiven, when forgiveness wasn't deserved, when they've asked forgiveness, when it hurt. I've seen hope grow as we have trusted you in situations and scenes where we just did not make any sense, do not understand how you could bring good from it, but we believe you. We do not understand the story, but we believe, sometimes, but we believe the storyteller. How could life come from the body broken and the blood spilled? But it does. So as we come to the table, as we come to this moment of grace, bless us. Remind us that the body was broken and the blood spilled that we may have life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.